I just learned something about you. What? Mark. What did you learn about me? You don't know who Lizzo is. That's true. Are you going to hold that over me? Is it's this, just kind of shocking. It's just kind of shocking. I'll do some Googling tonight. Oh, boy. Well, this is yet another episode of Modern Dadhood, which is an ongoing conversation about the joys, challenges, and general insanity of being a dad in this moment. My name is Adam Flaherty. I'm a father of two daughters who are six and a half and three and a half. And you, sir, the man who doesn't know Lizzo? My name is Mark Cheggett, and I am a dad to twin boy toddlers, two and a half. And no, I have no idea who Lizzo is. Modern Dad is an interview show, and today our guest is a successful entrepreneur, author, and a fellow podcaster named Peter Shankman. And we'll be catching up with Peter in just a bit. You think he has some friends that call him the shankster? Oh, hey, Adam. Yes, sir. It was Halloween this weekend. Yes, it was. Did you guys do anything? Well, how did your, I guess, two-part question, how did your neighborhood deal with Halloween this year? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the answer to that is that the town officially canceled trick-or-treating, which is a big deal because my neighborhood in particular is super family-friendly, and we literally get hundreds and hundreds of kids. It's a shit show, and we love it. Like, it's great. But we formulated a plan with some other families in the neighborhood who we're close Mm. with who have kids and we did our own sort of little private thing where you know we came up with a a list of the families who were participating in all of the kids you know i think it was like 20 to 25 kids all together yeah all the families made specific bags for those kids the girls had a great time and they got like, I would say even more candy than they typically Uh, get. People are making little bags. Yeah. That were just filled to the brim with, you know, everything you can imagine. Yeah. How about you guys? Yeah. I mean, it it was similar to yours. It wasn't quite as, uh, I would say organized maybe, but there was a lot of chatter on our neighborhood Facebook groups about exactly, you know, how are we going to do this thing? And most of the families did did a similar thing, which is that everybody had tables out with prepackaged candy bags, just like mm-hmm. you said. So in that, in that regard, it was, uh, it was a little bit more, I don't know. It was a little bit more neat and orderly, I suppose, um, than in previous years, but you're right. Like our kids came home with a butt ton of candy. Uh, and I think it was, we were just one little bag filled with candy after another, just getting dumped out on the, on the living room floor yeah. when we got back home. It was pretty funny. Between the leftover candy from what we bought to fill the bags, oh, which God, I, 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 I ordered it online and went to pick it up like curbside pickup and accidentally it, and which is a true accident. It wasn't like, uh-huh. a, uh, oops, got three big bags instead of two mixed bags. Yeah. Mixed bags. So between the what's left over from that, which is a lot, and what the girls collected, like we are just overrun with sugar. And it's really bad for me. Like I have it's a total weakness. And if it's around, I'm going to be picking at it and I won't stop. My craving for it is just endless. I would just go until I vomited. (laughs) I'd like to see that. 
Ah, Marcos. That's me. No, you're supposed to say Mikeithos. Do you know the reference? Polos. No. Did I do no, it? You're supposed to say Mikeithos. Oh, you're. that's a Lizzo song. No, it's oh, not a Lizzo song. It's a it. reference to The Vow on HBO that's about the uh, sex cult. Okay, no, I didn't know that, but that is on my list. I'll, I'll put it to the top of the list. Okay. But I did want to ask you, on a serious note, when you were growing up, did your parents have hobbies or habits that even as a kid you recognized were risky or dangerous? Um... No, I can't honestly say, well, I guess. Well, I know your dad was a woodworker. Well, okay. So that is the thing that comes to mind. So our basement, okay, was his wood shop. And when I was really little, I do remember periodically I would go to bed, you know, just a little tyke going off to bed, Betty by around whatever, eight o'clock, right? Good night. (laughs) Can you leave the light in the hallway on mom, please? Can I stay up an extra 15 minutes? Just rub just rub my back until I fall asleep, Mom. <laughs> Can I have some warm milk? Can you just sit at the foot of the bed and just <laughs> breathe just loud enough so that I can hear? <laughs> um, no, and I would be all the way up. We had a two-story home, and some of the power tools that were down in the basement, some of them really freaked me out, and I'd be upstairs in bed hearing the planer kick on or the table saw kick on. Yeah. And I would lay there thinking he's definitely, no, he's yeah, he's definitely dead. He's definitely cut all his limbs off (laughs) and now he's dead. And here I am just laying here, not doing anything about it. Like it would, I would, my imagination would run a little bit wild. Um, And I will just end this bit by saying he's never injured himself. He is, as long as I knew him to be the guy that went downstairs in the basement to work, on whatever it was he was building. Interesting. When I was thinking about this question, I was thinking that I just remember growing up so many times, my mom had to remind my dad to put on his seatbelt when we were driving. Mm-hmm. Wearing a seatbelt is just something that, you know, became the norm later in their life than a lot of people. Hard, hard and to believe. so he does now, you know, he, he wears a seatbelt all the time now. It's only because his wife nagged him for so many years. <laughs> right, exactly. There seems like this double standard because if I ever got in the car with them and I didn't put my seatbelt on, my dad would be all over it. Yeah. Here's another big double standard. Did you grow up in a smoking household? I did. You I did. did? For a number of years. My parents both quit smoking while I was still living in their house. And you? Yeah. 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 And holidays were, were rough. It was like being, it was like being in a bar, you know, yeah. it was just a, a, a haze of, of smoke in, in most rooms of the house. But I, but I definitely got, I tried smoking when I was pretty young and got in big trouble for it, mm-hmm. you know, yep. Yep. which is, which is their job to make sure that I'm not doing stupid things. Mm-hmm. Ended up smoking for a long time. The thought of it now just absolutely disgusts me. Well, it's been long enough since I've had a cigarette, but big double standard there. Well, were there any uh, thrilling, like daredevil type hobbies that family members did that you knew that you would never be allowed to do until you were a grown up or things that you were really into before having kids that you 
no longer do either because of the optics to your kids. You want to set a good example or because of the danger? No. Next question. (laughs) Um, Both my parents did often, if I would find them watching TV sharpening toothbrushes, I never knew what that was about. (laughs) Yep. 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 Um, I get it. I get it. Another shank joke. Uh, All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and answer because really the only reason that I ask you these questions is so that I can answer them myself. So do you want me to ask you? No, you don't want me to to ask you the question. No, I'll just, uh, I'll just, I'll ask myself. Adam, what did you like to do before having kids that you can no longer do? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I'm glad I asked. (laughs) Um, I, uh, I really enjoyed skydiving before we had kids. Um, I had jumped probably five times over the span of a few years and I, I love it. Like it's, it's a, it gives you a rush, like nothing else that I've experienced. Have you ever jumped out of an airplane? No. And I didn't even breathe the whole time you were saying that because I was, I was <laughs> imagining, yeah. I was imagining being in a plane with the door open. It was just oh, yeah. too frightening. Oh, it's frightening and awesome and exhilarating. Mm. And, you know, just the feeling of free falling through the sky for about a minute is like, it's, it, I don't even have words for it. It's incredible. Mm. So I did it a handful of times before having kids. And then either right around the time our, our first daughter was born, or it might've been like a month or two before she was born. Mm. Sarah said to me, no more, no more. It's too risky you know, we can't, we can't afford to lose you. (laughs) Like you can't skydive anymore. (laughs) And honestly, like I, I, I was okay with it. Like I definitely want to jump again in the future. And I would imagine that when the girls are old enough, like I've talked to them about it and they, they're like, Oh, that sounds so cool. I would imagine that when they're old enough, you know, 18, that they'll want to try it with me, which I'll I'll be all about it as long as Sarah allows it. It just wasn't an argument that I was like interested in having. So it's it's a hobby that I'm okay sort of putting on the shelf for now. That's exactly why I stopped mainlining pixie sticks. I had done it enough. I I understood what the rush felt like. How do you get past the pain? The first few times are painful. There was you. It's because the end the end result is worth it. It's you also know. like a hurt so good thing, right? It's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It tickles kind of tickle. It's like a tickle pain. You know? There's nothing like blowing your nose and seeing <laughs> just blue, blue <laughs> slime. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing like sneezing out coarse orange sugar. <laughs> oh, Halloween. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, skydiving is how I came across our guest for today's episode. Uh, I was reading one of Peter Shankman's blog entries because he's a powerful entrepreneur and online presence. And I learned a lot from him and he had a blog about how he had a a mishap while he was skydiving Mm. and he pulled his parachute, but this piece called the slider did not do what it was supposed to do immediately. And he ended up free falling for 11, I think 11 seconds longer than he should, you know, he's hurtling towards the ground. That's terrifying, terrifying. And eventually it did before he had to pull his backup parachute, but the, he, pulled, the lesson, he had to pull his backup parachute. No, he was about to. So you do oh, have a backup oh. chute. So he in, in all likelihood would have been fine. Yeah. He was about to pull it. 
and the slider did its thing and the parachute opened. Cheesy crazy. And the remainder of the jump was uneventful, but the big sort of lesson or takeaway that he got from it. And he shared this in his blog was about complacency and how in his head, you know, he just kept thinking, you know, I can give it another second. I can give it another two seconds to see if it opens before I pull my backup shoot. And it can be devastating, it can be dangerous and devastating. And that's something that can apply obviously to skydiving, but really to all parts of your life. Peter Shankman, he's an amazing individual. He's a multi-talented marketing entrepreneur. He's a best-selling author. He's an influencer, a podcaster, a fantastic keynote presenter. He's a triathlete. He's a skydiver. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Adam, you got a chance to sit down and talk with him. I did. Uh, Shall we give it a listen? I'm really excited to listen to this interview. Peter, thank you for carving out time to be on Modern Dadhood. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the invite. You've got some irons in the fire. Is that uh, fair to say? Oh, nothing major. You know, <laughs> uh, it is busy, but, you know, I, I, I couldn't imagine having it any other way. It's it's um, I'm very fortunate. I'm very lucky. It's a lot of fun. So Mark and I both work in digital agencies and could chat with you all day long about how to disrupt in advertising or craft an effective email. But Modern Dadhood is a space to talk about being a dad. So let's start there. Tell us about your daughter, Jessa, seven years old, right? She's a wonderful daughter. She's seven years old. Um, she's very inquisitive, very smart. So, um, you know, as a single dad, I've spent the uh, majority of the last few months with her. It's been, it's been awesome. You've described having sort of a distinct division in your life, you know, at least in non-pandemic times, the, the work slash rest slash fun, Peter, and then Peter, the dad, where your priority is being present with your daughter. I know that for me, it's a real challenge to squeeze in anything beyond work and parenting and the podcast. I, I have to generate income. I have to raise my kids. But lots of other things have sort of taken a back seat. Do you have any wisdom to share about how to carve out that time or, or find balance for the things that fulfill you? I think that you make time for what's important. And the problem is that, you know, when you make time for something that's important, it comes at the expense of something that's not right. And so Mm -hmm. you have to give up something that's not for something that is. So for me came down to, you know, I don't go out. I don't do things like, I don't do things that I would often do in the past. You know, I don't go out for drinks. I don't do, you know, whatever. Instead, um, I'm asleep usually about 15 minutes after my daughter is, Mm -hmm. but on the flip side, I I'm up at usually around quarter to four in the morning. And, um, to get that done, you know, you make the decision that that's more important because if, if I don't get up first thing in the morning and exercise, I can't, I can't be at my best. Right. And I need to be at my best. So for me, I need to make sure that I'm getting that dopamine, getting that serotonin, getting that adrenaline, those things I need doing that, that super early thing allows me to be the best dad I can without question. So I'm curious, does being someone whose brand really is your name and your face, you know, you in the spotlight on stage, how you position yourself publicly, all of that, does that make it hard to flip a switch and put Jessa in the spotlight? So she tends to not be in the spotlight in terms of um, publicly. So a lot of her in my public world does not exist. A lot of her in my private world, you know, I'm all about her. I mean, I'm, I'm very much, I, I juggle everything I do uh, around here, even when I was traveling as much as I was, I'd fly to Asia on a Tuesday, I'd get there 
Wednesday night, I'd speak Thursday morning, I'd fly back Thursday afternoon. And with the time change, I'd be home Thursday night. So I'd only miss two nights and I'd be a zombie, but I'd be home for dinner with her. And so, you know, it's really, again, it's about balance. It's about what's important. You know, you can live your life in such a way where you can do the things you need to do and, and still make it work. And it's, I'm not saying it's easy. It's the furthest thing from easy, but it's worth it. Oh, absolutely. And to clarify, my question is more about your private life, you know, not necessarily putting Jessa in the, the public spotlight, but just being able to sort of separate from business and refocus your attention on whatever it is that's important to her. I mean, for example, my girls were home all summer and my wife and I were both working from home and I would be right in the middle of something that was important to me from a professional standpoint. And then instantly have to switch over to being an audience member in, you know, of a puppet show that was happening in our living room. As someone whose brand is really you, how do you sort of retrain yourself to go from Peter Shankman is an important and influential person to right now in this moment, Peter Shankman is not important? Well, I think that, you know, Peter has never been important, but I think that my, you know, the, <laughs> I was giving a speech uh, two weeks ago to a major uh, Fortune 50, uh, about 400 people in the audience all via Zoom. And, you know, uh, I made sure she was set up in her room and she had her, um, her laptop and she was in her class. I, I timed it, right? And, um, you know, sure enough, five minutes to my keynote, Daddy, I locked my computer. Mm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. Uh, and she brings it out. I'm like, this is my daughter. I'm just going to unlock her computer. Okay, go. Do not press that button again. You know, and it, so be it, right? I, I think that there are a lot worse things than that. And if that's the worst thing I have to deal with in a day, so be it. You know, she is very much my, my world. And um, uh, I, I think that anyone who doesn't understand that or who would be, who would have an issue with that probably isn't someone I want to work with anyway. Exactly, exactly. And anybody who has kids should understand that and hopefully, you know, find it endearing that that, that needs to be your priority for those 30 seconds or whatever. So I want to shift gears a bit. Uh, one of the ways that you have fun and take care of yourself is skydiving. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how you got into skydiving. So when you're ADHD, uh, you have much less dopamine than a normal brain. And you're constantly looking for ways to fill that. And at the time, I didn't know I was ADHD. I just realized that well, I, I did one skydive and, and I took 150 people uh, skydiving. When I ran my PR firm, it was a, it was a PR stunt. And it went really, really well. And, uh, you know, of course, um, the joke being that uh, you have your um, 150 people, all of whom jump out of a plane, 149 of them said, my God, that was awesome. I'm totally going to check it off the bucket list. And then that one guy who says, I got to do that shit again. <laughs> and that wound up being me. So I immediately <laughs> fell in love with it. And I realized, I didn't realize at the time that the correlation between why I felt so good and dopamine and jumping, but I wound up going back and getting my license a couple of years later and um, jumping ever since. And, and, and once I really sort of connected ADHD with everything else, I'm like, wow, that makes perfect sense. I'll, I'll bring my laptop up to the drop zone and I'll jump, I'll land, I'll throw my gear in a corner of the hangar and I'll sit down on my laptop and I'll write 10,000 words an hour. Mm. So I'm just so high from all the dopamine from the jump. It's, it's the equivalent for me of, of taking meds. Same thing with running, same thing with exercise, the same reason I get up so early and even public speaking. Yeah. You know, all those things that, that allow me to build up that dopamine and just feel amazing. And everyone said, oh, you know, now that you have a kid, are you going to stop skydiving? I was absolutely not. First of all, I'm an incredibly safe skydiver, right? I, I don't go anywhere near enough for, for it even to affect my insurance. Um, I got about just under 500 jumps in 15 years, which as a skydiver is, in the skydiving world is like, is like nothing. I have friends that do a thousand jumps a season, but I just know that how I feel when I jump after I jump makes me a better father. And why would I give that up? Yeah. Well, that was going to lead me to the next question, which has sort of answered itself. I 
before having kids jumped a number of times and really enjoyed it. And before my first daughter was born, my wife said, uh, cool it. You got to cool it on the jumping. No, no more jumping. And I understood where she was coming from. I mean, there is some inherent risk in skydiving. I mean, there's inherent risk in driving a car or flying a plane, but this is an action sport or hobby that I could just choose to not participate in for a while. So I was curious to hear when you learned that you were going to be a dad, did your feelings about skydiving and the risk that you're taking on change? But it sounds like they didn't. I live in New York City. I have a better chance of going outside and getting hit by a bus than I do if something happened when I skydiving. And let's be honest, if, if my wife at the time had told me to quit skydiving and I had gone out and gotten hit by a bus, I would have been so angry. I would have come back and haunted the shit out of her. So, I mean, <laughs> she understood um, how beneficial it was. I understood how beneficial it was. And the risk is much less than the reward in this point. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a great segue because you've had a few scarier moments when skydiving that you've written about, including times when your parachute has either deployed too quickly or too late. And when you're literally free falling through the sky, every second matters. Have those experiences put anything into perspective for you in terms of weighing those immense positives that you describe against the risk? I think it reaffirmed the fact that brilliance and ideas and creativity all die in complacency. That's right. And you simply can't let complacency um, sneak in because it's very easy. Oh, things are going fine. I'm doing okay. You know, and, and I don't need to do more. I don't need to whatever that sort of uh, way of thinking can mm-hmm. hurt you. Right. Look at all the people who were just, you know, doing okay. And they had money coming in and, and you know, everything was going okay in their business. And then COVID hit. Right. So you constantly have to be thinking of, you know, a little outside the box, a little differently. Your comfort zone is great, but nothing grows there. And so complacency is dangerous in all capacities, whether it's professionally or personally. Peter, you've mentioned ADHD a couple of times in our conversation. Uh, I know you're a podcaster yourself. You've written a book by the same title as your podcast uh, called Faster Than Normal. Uh, I'm going to link all of your projects in the show notes because I really would love for our listeners to take a deep dive into your content. But can you give us, I guess, sort of an elevator pitch about your work and your research on ADHD and how you've developed these hacks, as you call them, to actually use your own ADHD to your advantage? Yeah, I mean, it starts off by saying I'm not a doctor, but what I have discovered is that, you know, all the stuff that I did as a kid that got me in trouble, uh, speaking out in, in class, you know, being a class clown, everything I've ever done in my life, uh, for good or for bad, has, has in some way or another been to create more dopamine. Because, again, when you're ADHD, you have less than a normal brain. And so dopamine is the focus chemical. It's a chemical that makes you happy. It's a chemical that does all these things. And I just didn't have enough of it. And so I wasn't, I never did drugs, you know, as a kid, I, didn't, I wasn't drinking or anything like that. But I learned about when I made a joke uh, in, in spoke at a turn in class and I made a joke and the whole class laughed, that was dopamine, right? And wow, that's a great feeling. The irony is that I was speaking out in class and getting in trouble because dopamine allowed me to focus and I could learn better. I actually wanted to learn, but I was doing it the only way I knew how. You know, ADHD didn't exist when I was a kid. What existed was sit down, you're disrupting the class disease. And so as I got older, um, when I finally put a name to this and realized what it was, I said, wow, you know, both the good and the bad stuff, everything in my life has been tied back to this. And so the concept behind FTN, Fast and Normal, is, is the premise that we might want to consider looking at all sorts of neurodiversity, the ADHD, autism spectrum, executive function disorder, dyslexia, you know, not necessarily as curses that need to be fixed, but as gifts that need to be harnessed. And once I realized that and I was able to put sort of these life rules into place, if you're driving a Honda all your life and then someone gives you a Lamborghini 
and you try to get it on the highway the same way you do when you drill the Honda and you floor it, you're going to crash into a tree, right? You know, 180 miles an hour. And so I had to learn how to redrive my brain. But once I learned how to drive my brain, I could drive incredibly fast and safely. Things like that. And, and, and I learned that I realized there might be some other people who would, who would benefit from that. I guess there are other people. I get emails every day from people who say, thank you. And, and this has helped. And I'm looking at it a different way now. And it's, it's a great feeling. Well, congratulations on the success of Faster Than Normal, uh, which includes the book and the podcast and all of your other uh, important work that you're doing. Dads will include links to all things Peter Shankman in the show notes. Just quickly, and I know this is probably a very involved answer, but can any of these hacks, are any of them applicable to people who do not have ADHD? They're applicable to everyone. And they're very simple. You know, the premise of you know, I have two sides to my closet and they're labeled. One says office slash travel and it's uh, t-shirts and jeans. The other says speaking slash television and it's button down shirts, jackets and jeans. And that's it. My sweaters, my vest, my suits, those are all in my daughter's closet. Cause I have to wake up every day and say, Hmm, what should I wear? Oh, look at that vest. I remember that vest. Michelle gave me that vest. I wonder how she's doing. I should look her up. She lives three hours later. I'm naked in the living room on Facebook. I haven't left the house. And so you, you put together these sort of guard guardrails. Again, the same thing with exercise. I, Without the, without the exercise, without the dopamine flow, I'm just not going to have as good of a day. It's going to be terrible. No, it's not going to be as good. And so I've learned things like that, you know, things to, to eliminate choice, to, uh, to get myself into routines. You know, resolutions fail. You're not going to lose 50 pounds in January the first month of the year. But, you know, the resolution to like have one piece of whatever it is you're eating at dinner and not six, that's easier. Mm. And over time, mm-hmm. that ritual becomes a routine. And then they work for anyone. It's not just ADHD. They've been very beneficial to, to every type of person. Peter Shankman, it has been a pleasure speaking with you, sir. And uh, thank you so much for your time and for joining the conversation on Modern Dadhood. My pleasure, Adam. Stay in touch and, and be safe. Did he say in that interview, did I hear it correctly? He gets up at four or, or earlier than four in the morning some days. Yeah, he is up, I think, at 3.45 in the morning. I, I, have, I have to say, I hear that from people like that. There's something about getting up at or before 4 a.m. That is part of the secret sauce. It's part of the magic. It's part of what makes those people who they are and achieve what, they, what they've been able to achieve. I feel like I should have asked him if when his daughter's old enough it, and was interested in skydiving, if he would support her in doing that. Oh, and I think he almost certainly would say absolutely because it's very safe. But I wonder if his daughter's mother would say the same thing. Yeah, I wonder how she feels about it. I mean, this guy skydives or has many times. Hundreds of times. Skodiv. Skydiven. Many, many times. Dave. So. I wonder if she's at this point sort of immune to, to that. Skodov is good though. <laughs> I have, I've got a, so that's a thing now. I heard that there's a new thing in your home. Here's the thing. You're not the only person hmm? that's heard the new thing. And I'll, I'll explain. I'm going to Quentin Tarantino it, right? I'm going to give you a little bit of the end, but not the whole thing Then I'm going to rewind Back to the beginning and go all the way through. Okay. <laughs> Can't wait. One of my sons, as my wife was holding hands with him, leaving daycare, his pants, because he was wearing the loner pants from daycare because he had a little accident when he was at school. They didn't fit him quite right. And as he was walking, they, they, they fell to the ground. 
very, very comical. <laughs> he fell to the ground and he said something. And, and, and what he said were, were words that I had given him. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so let me, so let me back up a, a few days prior. I was, uh, I was sitting on the couch and I was playing guitar and the boys were just, it was just like an afternoon and uh, I was just playing guitar. And sometimes I will just sing out lyrics as I, I make them up as I go along. And usually I'm just looking at what's happening in front of me and I'm just singing goofy lyrics to mm-hmm. what's going on around me. You know, like he's eating waffles again, <laughs> you know, like whatever, whatever comes into my mind that I, I'm looking at. Channeling and, Willie Nelson on that one. <laughs> a little bit. And I was playing just some like, just some goofy, punky, you know, chords, chord progression, three, three chords over and over again. And I was just singing the same melody. And one of my sons runs out of the room to the bath. He says, I have to go pee. And he runs to the bathroom and, and mommy follows him and, and, and they, he, she helps him go pee on the potty. And then he washes his hands. And then, um, he comes, he comes back into the room. And when he comes back into the room, he's no longer wearing pants or undies. As you understand, you let that slide sometimes. Just, I'm very just familiar with that move. Yeah. Be naked for a while. Who cares? We're going up soon to bath and bed. It doesn't matter. So he comes running back into the room, very excited. And he's, he's got no pants on. And so I naturally, I sing that as he's coming into the room and it <laughs> works perfectly for the song where there's a little break. And I sing, I hit a chord and I go, oops, penis out. <laughs> and, and, Jamie overheard it and was like, what? And I was like, and then I played the chord progression again and I said it again. Of course, you have to say it more than once. You got to embed it in their head so that it can be used elsewhere. Exactly. And that wasn't necessarily my goal, but I, it was funny at the time. And so subsequently we ended up singing it a little bit that night. Anyway, flash forward a couple of days later. One of it was, it was seated deeply in his brain, <laughs> ingrained. He's leaving daycare. His loner pants fall down. Mm-hmm. He looks up at mommy and says, oops, penis out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have been there to see it, to hear it, to see who else maybe heard it. I don't know. I'll never know exactly who heard it. What was an embarrassing mom moment would have been such a proud dad moment. Oh man. I mean, really, when she came home and told me that I, I, I may have shed a tear actually, but it's uh, so harmless because it's so harmless. You you wouldn't catch me singing that song in a daycare parking lot, I guess. That's what I'd say. (laughs) Oh, so that's a thing now in the check it household. Oops, penis out. listen dads we're wrapping up and mark's got some stuff to tell you you can find us at moderndadhood.com apple podcasts stitcher spotify amazon podcasts and more and please if you wouldn't mind because it helps us so much and it makes our little hearts go pitter patter subscribe rate review us do us a favor go out there and tell your mom and dad friends to maybe subscribe to the show word of mouth mm. Mm. you can drop us a line anytime at hey h-e-y at moderndadhood.com we always 
give a big shout out and thank you to Mr. Casper Baby Pants and to Spencer Albee for the amazing music in Modern Dadhood, to Mr. Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio for his incredible mixing skills, and to our intern, if he even still is. He's out there. The famous, infamous, infamous Miles Kruzberg Rosine. And also, thank you for listening. Oops, penis out.